0: Short skirts in the olden times, some daisies wrapped around her head. You go find my woman dancing in death feet, on the couch, in a barroom dress. And I love how my baby looks at me. And welcome into the Most Accurate Podcast. My name is Anthony Stalter. Alongside me is John Paulson of 444.com. And uh, John, as we usually do, we banter about our teams for Thirty seconds or so. My Falcons got a big win. For you, you got to feel like you were robbed of a, a victory yesterday. Fortunately enough, the the Vikings still don't have a field goal kicker, so you wound up with the tie. But that 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 was that absolutely was a win for the Packers, given that that BS call on Clay Matthews at the end.
1: I uh, missed the last. I missed overtime in part of the fourth quarter. They kicked the field goal. They put them up nine. I had to go to the soccer field and I was watching the game cast on my phone and i couldn't believe it um what was happening and it seemed like minnesota was marching down the field getting touchdowns but then the packers did get that interception and then got another field goal like packers can't punch in the end zone to to get the the um the final score to really put it away and they just keep uh giving them opportunities and then i saw the clay matthews hit that was the penalty man that is that is bad that was a bad call
0: yeah, they Big said time. they said that they he drove Kirk Cousins into the ground, but I mean, even even the most hardened Minnesota Viking fan has to admit that they got got away with one there. But credit the Vikings for coming back. The final drive from Cousins was great, and they had they had to get the two point conversion, and they must have felt like they they had a win too. But. Uh, these these kickers are just so unpredictable we also saw it in the cleveland game that was a game that the browns certainly should have won but uh let's move on we'll talk we'll talk more fantasy football moving forward here tell us about the music that brought us in then we'll get to some of these week three injuries
1: yeah that was a track called uh anderson east or i'm sorry that's the the band is anderson east it's the guy anderson east and his the song is all in my mind so i'll add it to the uh most accurate podcast playlist on spotify
0: All right, let's dive into the week three injuries. Joe Mixon, we'll start off with him. I know he played on Thursday night, but he's got, he had a knee scope. He's likely to be out two to four weeks. Do you feel as though Gio Bernard is a legitimate fantasy starter or does this have to be a a situation where it's matchup dependent?
1: I'm kind of, I'd be surprised if, if he's actually back Mixon in two weeks. I had both my knees scoped in college playing basketball and it took, it took four weeks before I was back in action and, Uh, So I would expect him to miss at least three, but I'm no doctor. Uh, I just uh, been through it. Uh, Basically, it was just trimming of cartilage in my knees. I'm not exactly sure what he's having done. I'm guessing it's a similar uh, procedure. Uh, But in the meantime, I think Gio Bernard's going to be a a low-end RB1, high-end RB2 uh, in his place. He's going to see the vast majority of the touches. Uh, I went back and looked at Bernard's game logs from his career, and he has 46 games where he has at least 12 touches. And in those games, he averaged 16.4 fantasy points in PPR formats on 16.6 touches per game. That's 88 total yards, 5.2 catches, 0.39 touchdowns. You know, a lot of that time he was splitting with Jeremy Hill or, you know, maybe Jeremy Hill was injured and he got an extra few touches that week. But, I mean, I think you can expect 16.5 touches per game for him, and he's going to produce. He's actually a really good running back, which was maybe a little surprising when they uh, drafted Joe Mixon.
0: Larry Fitzgerald poor Larry Fitzgerald he strained a hamstring yesterday he's week to week for two and a half or for one and a half games he also had to play with Sam Bradford who, who looks like for my money the most disinterested quarterback in the National Football League John it looks like this guy just he's cashing his 20 million he, he's showing up but that's about it with, with Fitzgerald out are any of those other wide receivers worth rostering worth playing you've got Christian Kirk you've got Chad Williams do you touch any of these guys
1: let me ask you this. Does he look more or less disinterested than Jay Cutler last year? He
0: looks year he looks less interested than Jay Cutler. <laughs> it, I think they had a they had a shot on the sidelines of him yawning during the game yesterday. <laughs> so I would I would give I would give Sam Bradford the most disinterested award. He just took it away from Jay Cutler.
1: Well I'll tell you what my basketball coach in college. I meant this is my second basketball mention. Uh Bo Ryan <laughs> used to say that he used to if people yawned in film session or whatever, he wouldn't get upset. He would say, uh, you know, it's it's not that you're tired or that you're bored, it's that you your brain needs oxygen. I don't know if that's true, but he never got better out of shape about the about the yawn, but it definitely is not a good look on the sideline. Um i just look at the box score right now for Arizona. It's pretty pathetic. Ninety yards passing. Uh Christian Kirk saw five targets. He had four catches for 27 yards. Ricky Seals-Jones had six targets, four for 17. Uh, Chad Williams doesn't look like he was targeted. So, I mean, Christian Kirk is probably your best bet here, but I wouldn't want a part of this passing offense right now. Um, I I think Fitzgerald will be – I don't know if he'll be back next week, but he shouldn't be uh, out too long. I think uh, he should be back pretty soon.
0: All right, we should probably run through these pretty quickly. I don't think any of them are serious. Dalvin Cook strained a hamstring. He's likely – he's going to be day-to-day, but there's a report from Tom Palacero that he's fine. Antonio Brown strained his calf, but he's day-to-day. And then LaShawn McCoy does not have fractured ribs, so he's day-to-day. Any concerns about these guys, or should we move on?
1: Well, Antonio Brown, I just want to mention that whenever I see strained calf, I get a little bit worried because calf calf injuries are tricky, and they don't always – heal as quickly as you would expect. So that's, I think that's another uh, maybe a plus in the column for James Washington if you're thinking about picking up a receiver, a young receiver, this week.
0: All right. Mike Wallace, His he's got an ankle injury. He's week to week. You've got Carter and Gibson behind him. Any any interest in Carter or Gibson?
1: Well, it looks like Alson Jeffrey is going to practice this week, so I think we'll see uh, Jeffrey, um, Nelson Aguilar, and, and uh, Zach Ertz being the primary targets in the passing game for the,
0: for the Eagles. And then finally you've got Marcus Mariota who suited up yesterday but did not play. He watched as Blaine Gabbert led the Titans to victory over the Texans. That one really surprised me given how much injuries they had along the offensive line for Tennessee. Uh, any any adjustments to be made with guys like Corey Davis?
1: Yeah, you know, certainly when Mariota looked like he wasn't going to start yesterday, I moved Davis down, um, because you're putting in Blaine Gabbert, who's uh, an inferior quarterback to Marcus Mariota. Uh, 13 for 20 for 117 yards and a touchdown, 5.8 yards per attempt for Blaine Gabbert. That's not very good. The quarterback rating is okay, um, but that's not a productive passing game, and everybody takes a hit. I mean, Davis ended up with five catches for uh, 55 yards on seven targets, and that's kind of a miracle. That he got that much work and that much production. Uh, Taewon Taylor three for thirty-two and a touchdown, and uh, Janu Smith, who I thought was going to be uh, you know step in for Delaney Walker, it doesn't look like he was targeted. So um, you know Luke Stocker got two tar- uh, two receptions for fifteen yards on two targets. So uh, right now I would say this is kind of a mess, and you want to see Mariota back pretty quickly if you're a Titans fan or have any piece of this passing game.
0: Before we get to some of the RBBC situations, which was which is one thing that we added last year uh, during the Monday uh, podcast, I want to ask you about a couple of fantasy related news. So we have not talked about Josh Gordon being released yet by the Browns. They're they're set to. What's the best landing spot for Gordon? And then I know you own him in at least one league. Do you stat, <laughs> Do you stash him? What do you what do you do with Josh Gordon at this point?
1: Oh, you had to bring that up, didn't you? Uh, <laughs> I, I went for upside, and we'll see. I'm holding on blame, to him no, right now. I don't blame you. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, it's our keeper league, so I went for upside, and it is so far backfired. But this might be this might work out for him. I'm holding on to him for now. I don't think he'll end up getting cut. I guess there's quite a few teams interested in trading for him. Uh, it sounds like he strained his hamstring or re-injured his hamstring at a photo shoot or a promotional uh, event. Uh, I don't know the details on it. He also showed up late um, to a meeting. And I guess the Browns had had enough, assuming that they don't trade him within the AFC. Um, I think the best spots probably, you know, you want to see him land in a, in a receiving core with good opportunity and a good quarterback. Uh, so I would say that the 49ers qualify, uh, the Cowboys and the Seahawks would be my top three choices in the NFC in that in that sort of situation. And then the Cardinals also could really use an inf- influx of talent at the receiver position, although their quarterback situation is pretty dire. So uh, I think those are the best lighting spots. If you're a Josh Gordon owner, you're hoping for one of those three, uh, you know, maybe the Browns trade them to an AFC team, but I doubt it. It sounded like they wanted to go to the NFC. I,
0: I just, for my two cents, it, it would be fun both on the field and, Basically, the, a combustible situation off the field. If he were to wind up with the Dallas Cowboys, that 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 to me makes all the sense in the world. And for a brief period of time, he did play at Baylor, so that you know there's the, and I think he grew. I actually think he grew up in Houston, so that would be an interesting landing spot if he wound up back in the state and, and wound up with the Cowboys, who certainly need some outside the numbers presence there. I mean, they won last night, but watching watching Dak Prescott constantly throw to. Cole Beasley, they got Ezekiel Elliott involved a little bit more in the passing game last time, but he he needs something outside the numbers. I got two more questions for you. I, one, I, I I forgot to put on the rundown, but we did get a question on Twitter about Jack Doyle and his usage in Indianapolis. So um, I, I'll, I'll ask you about him. Doyle only grabbed two catches for twenty yards on five targets yesterday in that win over the Redskins. I know Eric Ebron caught a touchdown. He was three of four, 26 yards, and and that touchdown. How concerning is it uh, about Jack Doyle's usage and Eric Ebron kind of siphoning some targets there? Looks like there's some fantasy owners that are are pretty worried through two weeks.
1: It seems to me that fantasy owners panic more with a tight end position or a tight end that they drafted not performing fantastic – than if it's a receiver or even if it's a top three tight end. Like Travis Kelsey had a terrible game in week one, but nobody was talking about cutting him uh, after week one. I think people are overreacting a little bit to, to Doyle. He still had five targets, which is which is the second most on the uh, Colts receivers. And this was a game where the, the Colts led the whole way. Andrew Luck only attempted five, uh, 31 passes. So five targets out of 31 passes is not a bad target share. I still think that Doyle... Especially in PPR formats, is going to end up posting tight end one numbers. At, you know the the Eric Ebron touchdowns back to back weeks, uh, slightly worrisome. But I, I I think those two Doyle and Ebron will end up as the number two, number three most productive, fantasy receivers at that in that receiving core behind T Y Hilton. So it's not much of a concern for me.
0: All right, one other one other question here. Keelan Cole had an amazing day yesterday. Made an incredible one-handed catch. In fact, at, in that victory over the Patriots, is he now an every every week wide receiver three, or is he still matchup dependent?
1: Keelan Cole is good. I was touting him as a sleeper pick uh, this off season, especially uh, after the injury to Marquise Lee. Cole was running as the starter all camp alongside Lee, so you know he his role was pretty safe based on what would happen to Lee. Lee got injured, and they basically uh, moved uh, Dante Moncrief into the starting lineup, and D.D. Westbrook is the is the number three receiver there. But, you know, yesterday Blake Bortles was handing out touchdowns like he was Oprah. Uh,
0: <laughs> everybody
1: caught one. Uh, but looking at Cole, last year, uh, 442 yards, three touchdowns from week 13 to week 16, so he finished really strong. Uh, you know, had sort of the quiet... I don't know, it was 42 yards or something like that against the Giants in Week One, uh, but then exploded again this this uh, yesterday against the against the Patriots. Now he's a big play, high yards per catch receiver, so he's gonna have some, he, he's gonna have some quiet weeks where uh, you start to worry about him, but uh, then he ends up going over 100 and catching a touchdown like he did yesterday. So I yeah, you know, definitely you want to roster him and then you use him. Uh, in games where the Jaguars may trail, or if they're or if they uh, you know Leonard Fournette's out and they're running the ball a little bit less, uh, or they have a good matchup in the passing game.
0: Alright, let's get to some RBBC uh, situations, see if you can clarify some things for owners. Let's start off the 49ers. Alfred Morris had 48 yards on 14 carries. He also caught both of his targets for 32 yards in that win over the Lions yesterday. You also have Matt Breda there. He starred with 138 yards and a touchdown on 11 carries. He also caught three passes for 21 yards. Was this just a one-game sample size, or do you think Matt Braden now is the running back one for the 49ers under Kyle Shanahan?
1: Well, uh, I think he's has more value than Morris does, uh, but Morris still has had 16 touches yesterday compared to uh, 14 for Brita. So um, I, I just don't think that Kyle Shanahan is going to ignore the production here. He's, I think he's smarter than that. Uh, this will remain a timeshare probably in carries but then breda getting more of the passing game work and if if uh, uh Breida, if he's able to hold up then i think maybe he takes uh, the lead in carries as well as long as he's out uh, producing morris this way i think the one concern uh is with morris taking the the goal line carries if he's getting all that goal line work that's gonna keep a cap on uh, Breida's, uh fantasy value
0: so, this one's interesting. Let's move on to Denver. You had Philip Lindsay rushing 14 times for 107 yards. He also had one reception for four yards in that victory over the Raiders. Royce Freeman rushed eight times for only 28 yards, but he did score a touchdown. Royce Freeman also played 16 of 66 snaps for the Broncos. That was 24% against the Raiders. Lindsay, 28, Booker, 22. He, they both had more. Uh, percentage of snaps than Royce Freeman did. What do you make of the Broncos running back by committee situation?
1: Well, I think you look at uh, Lindsey, 14 rushing attempts on 28 snaps. Uh, Freeman, you have eight rushing attempts on 16 snaps. So they're both running the ball on about half their snaps, or at least they did yesterday. Uh, Lindsey's just been a lot more productive. He's outtouched Freeman 32-23 uh, to 23 through two games. Uh so I tweeted out last night that whatever you paid for Lindsay after week 1 uh was probably worth it cuz it looks like his usage is the real deal and they're planning to use him. Uh I think at worst we're looking at a Danny Woodhead type where he's in a committee, they probably don't want to overload him due to his size, so you know, he's not seeing 20 25 touches but maybe he's seeing 15 to 20 or 15 to 18 every week with Freeman uh mixing in and and seeing most of the carries on first and second down, or at least half the carries on first and second down to sort of limit the number of hits that Lindsay takes. But I mean, this is another uh, production situation, Uh, 29 carries for 178 yards so far compared to 23 for 99 uh, for Freeman. And there's still some upside here because the, the Broncos are playing Devontae Booker on a third of their snaps. Still Uh, he played, I think 25% in week one and 33, uh, in week two and if they decide that they're going to go away from booker there's some more time on the field for lindsey and for freeman
0: all right let's move on to the browns carlos Hyde rushed 16 times for 43 yards and a touchdown in that excruciating loss to the saints yesterday that another victory was there for the taking for the browns but they lose the most browns way ever missing an extra point that would have put them up by a, uh, a point but Hey, what are you going to do? Duke Johnson also rushed three times for three yards and caught two passes for seven yards. I, I feel like we get questions all the time, at least I do on Twitter, uh, about Duke Johnson and his role. I, To me, I'm staying away from this Cleveland backfield until uh, maybe the rookie out of Georgia, um, Nick Chubb, emerges. But what's your take on Cleveland?
1: Well, Duke Johnson's role seems to be diminishing. Uh, they gave him a big contract, and now they're not using him at all. Uh, I thought maybe he would see more work in the passing game with uh, Josh Gordon being released before week two and being a little bit thin at receiver, uh, but it didn't translate to any catches. But, you know, Cleveland was winning most of the game yesterday, so that might have played a part. But uh, I think this looks to me like Carlos Hyde's backfield right now. I mean, the 16 carries this week, he had, he's he got 38 of the 51 carries so far, he's got two of the five receptions so far. So he's involved in uh, in, in the in terms of running back touches there. Uh, he's involved in both the running and the passing game. And I just wanted to plug one of our tools that's not completely obvious when you go to our site, but if you go to tools and then you go to uh, under research, go to other and look for the RBBC report. Uh, it's a great snapshot of what's going on in any uh, team's backfield. So, for example, I've got the Browns up and it shows what they did in week two, it shows the last two weeks, and it will show um, the season-long numbers as well. So you have a pretty good idea of what's of what's happening in the backfield in any given time span.
0: All right, here's one for you. Here's a messy situation. It's Indianapolis. you got Marlon Mack. He came back. He logged 10 carries for 34 yards. You also caught one of two targets for two yards. He led the backfield with nine touches in the first half, but then Jordan Wilkins took over in the second. Wilkins rushed six, for 61 yards on 10 carries. He caught two of three passes, um, I think, or I'm sorry, he caught two passes on two targets for three yards. And then you had Naeem Hines, who contributed seven yards and a touchdown on four carries while also catching his lone target for a loss and, uh, and two yards. I know you were kind of interested to see Marlon Mack return to this backfield. You saw it yesterday, but it looks like the situation only got messier.
1: Yeah. It's 11 touches for him. Uh, you know, I was encouraged by his first half usage, but he didn't run the ball terribly well. Uh, I mean, right now he's, or at least in this game, he had 10 carries for 34 yards. That's not good. Uh, Wilkins significantly more productive with 61 yards and 10 carries. So, uh, this might've been his chance to sort of win it, or maybe they decided, okay, he's not killing it in the first half. He's coming off of a long stretch of being out. Let's, uh, let the rookie, um, uh, take over here in the second half and, and see if we can win the game that way. Uh, I would still hold Mack. Uh, I would probably hold Wilkins. Uh, I'm not really interested in the five touches for Naeem Hines right now. I know he got the touchdown, but that doesn't uh, really impress me too much. I mean, you've got 12 touches for Wilkins uh, and 11 for Mack, so I think those two are the ones that are sort of vying for the RB1 job in this in this backfield.
0: All right, three more teams to get to, including the Jets. Bilal Powell rushed five times for six yards, but he also caught five of six targets for 74 yards and a touchdown, so he made the impact in the passing game. Isaiah Crowell managed 35 yards on 12 carries. He also caught two of three targets for four yards in the Jets' week two loss in Miami. Are both guys just flex options at this point?
1: I think so, and it's, a little bit, it's going to be a frustrating um, situation all year. I think talent-wise, they're fairly close. They each offer something a little bit different since Powell's, uh, I think, significantly better – in the uh, passing game as a receiver, and Crowell's probably the better between-the-tackles runner. I think Powell's a pretty good runner as well. Neither player really got it going in the running game against the Dolphins, but uh, Powell was able to to make his uh, big plays in the passing game with 74 yards and a touchdown for him. Uh, Crowell out-touched Powell 14-10 to after Powell out Crowell in the first game. So it, it, this is probably going to be a frustrating um, like backfield to try to pin down. I think they're both... Guys, you kinda of plug in as RB three flex types and you hope that they score that week.
0: Same could be said for the Patriots, John. Rex Burkhead played fifteen of sixty-one snaps, it's twenty five percent against the Jaguars. Sony Michelle only managed thirteen and James White got thirty-four. James White's role is is obvious at this point, but with Sony Michel coming back yesterday, Rex Burkhead actually disappeared in the in the middle of the game yesterday before reemerging in the fourth quarter the The Patriots have zero rushing touchdowns in the first two games, so as a Burkhead owner myself, I don't want to overreact to Burkhead not being involved, but it certainly is concerning with him not playing in the middle of the game yesterday with Sony Michelle, their first rounder taking over in that in that uh span
1: yeah uh Burkhead it was coming off the concussion uh during the the previous game, and then during the week he was a little bit limited in the in practice. So I, I would still expect him to be the lead back in this backfield. Um, maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but he did play more snaps than Michelle, uh, fifteen to thirteen. James White got most of the snaps. I mean, you're looking at the how they ran the ball yesterday, it was six for twenty two for Burkhead, ten for thirty-four uh, for Michelle, and then four for eleven for White. So there really wasn't much going on in the running game for the Patriots. So they kind of abandoned I don't know if they abandoned it, but they got away from it and you're looking at uh, James White with seven catches for seventy three yards. It's one of those games where they just decided to use their running backs more uh, as receivers than um, as runners. So um, I still would hold Burkhead. Uh, you know, maybe you pick up Michelle if he's out in the waiver wire and try to see how this is going to shake out. I mean, the next game they have is against the, the Lions, uh, who just gave up a ton of yards to to Brita. Um, so. I think that there's some opportunity here for somebody to have a good game. We'll have to see in practice who's running first or if this ends up being a three kind of a three-headed monster.
0: Finally, the Titans, Deion Lewis rushed 14 times for 42 yards, and he caught his, his only target for one yard in the Titans' upset win over the Texans. Then you got Derrick Henry. 18 times he rushed the ball, so he out-touched Deion Lewis. He had 56 yards in the ground. Had uh, I don't think he's, he recorded a catch. I mean, Derrick Henry at this point probably not startable. What do you make for? What do you make of uh, Deion Lewis?
1: Yeah, it depends on the, uh, the the matchup in terms of Henry. I mean, I could see running him out there in the flex if they have a good uh, matchup. I mean, Miami in Week One, you know, they just shut down the the Jets running game. In Week Two, uh, the Texans pretty good rush defense. Um, so you have Jacksonville coming up, and then Philly. Those are two bad matchups. And then after that, you have Buffalo uh, B- and Baltimore. So kind of a mixed bag here in terms of, you know, matchups. I think Henry is kind of a uh, touchdown or bust type play. I mean, you, you're hoping that he gets 50 or 15 to 20 carries for 60 to 80 yards and a touchdown because he's not real involved in the in the passing game. And, and Deion Lewis has out touched him so far through two games, 36 to 29, uh, and significantly higher in fantasy points, 27. Uh, 0.3 to 10. So in PPR formats, 21.3 to nine in standard. So uh, Henry's a really dicey start. I f- faded him in the rankings um, in this matchup, given the loss of Mariota, the inability I thought the, the the Titans to move the ball, and he ended up with 18 carries, but still didn't uh, produce much with those with all those touches.
0: All right, what do you got for listeners when it comes to waiver wire watch heading into Week Three?
1: Well, we already talked about uh, Gio Bernard, who I think is a you know. If you're in the need of a running back right now, he's a nice add for the next three to four weeks, I think. Uh, I don't think Mixon will be back as quickly as that two-week time span, but we shall see. Uh, at receiver, two names jumped out, young receivers that are going to see more uh, snaps moving forward. Antonio Callaway with uh, Jordan, um, with uh, Josh Gordon being released uh, or traded, uh, he ended up playing 80, 81% of the snaps. Uh, Had a big game, caught a touchdown against the Saints. I favor him a little bit over James Washington, uh, who's the third receiver now, I think, for the uh, Steelers. He had 80% 80 of the snaps as well, caught a touchdown, but only had one catch, I think, for 14 yards. I think he had five targets. Callaway had four targets. Uh, I would lean Callaway. It's not a high-volume pass offense, but I think his role is bigger uh, than Washington's right now, Um, and there's more opportunity given the, the loss of Gordon and he's just got Richard Higgins there as the other, the third receiver, whereas Washington is contending with uh, Antonio Brown and um, Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, Brown's calf injury makes that Washington pickup a little bit more interesting, but right now I would lean Callaway.
0: All right, let's get into the Monday night football game. Bears-Seahawks. The Seahawks come into this game incredibly banged up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, they're without... KJ Wright, the linebacker. They're out. Bobby Wag without Bobby Wagner, uh, another crucial in- piece into that defense. They don't have Doug Baldwin, so Russell Wilson's playing behind a banged up offensive line, and he doesn't have his number one wide receiver. I think what most people are interested in from the Seahawks side of things, John, is how how this backfield starts to play itself out. At this point, do you lean more on on Chris Carson as being the more valuable fantasy back, or do you still think that? Um, Rashad Penny will will have his due when it's all said and done.
1: I think uh, Pete Carroll said after the Week One game that he he felt that Carson put some distance between him and and Freeman. So I would expect Carson to lead this backfield in touches tonight, provided he stays healthy. Uh, the concern is this offensive line. Uh, the Bears' defense is very good, so I'm interested to see what sort of pressure they're able to get on uh, Russell Wilson and how he's able to deal with it in the passing game. I think if he has enough time or can buy enough time, Tyler Lockett could have a really big game. Um, he's got a, a decent matchup in the slot, and he's got speed to burn. So with with Baldwin out, you know, at 7 to 10 targets up for grabs, you're looking at Lockett and probably Brandon Marshall uh, to pick up the slack. But uh, Wilson's kind of playing with uh, a bad hand right now in terms of the receiver situation with, with Baldwin's sideline. So... Uh, I'm a little worried about his fancy production tonight, but he's capable of you know running the ball and putting up 70, 80 yards as, as a runner and maybe scoring a touchdown that way. So it should be a fun, uh, fun game uh, to watch given the, the current situations of both teams.
0: Yeah, and then the Bears, I don't think there's really much from an injury standpoint. They're they're already without a couple of tight ends in Adam Sheehan and uh, Zach Miller. But any from anything from their standpoint that you're keying on, Jordan Howard's usage, Tory Cohen, uh, Allen Robinson, anything like that.
1: I would expect a big game from Jordan Howard, uh, given the the defense defensive problems and the uh, the injuries that the uh, the Seahawks have. I think uh, looking at what Howard did in the passing game last week against the Packers, if they continue with him in that sort of a role, then he becomes a fantasy RB one. And this is a, a game where they this offense should put up some points against against Seattle. And uh, the development of Mitch Trubisky as a quarterback as well should be uh, should be fun to watch and. Um, again, a, ba- a banged up uh, Seahawks defense should give some opportunity for this whole entire offense.
0: All right, that's John Paulson. I'm Anthony Stalter. By the way, I have a pick coming out tonight in tonight's Monday Night Football game. Um, I, I like the one of the sides. I'm not big on the total. I don't. I don't see much value there. But look for that coming out on Twitter pretty soon and 444.com. John's going to be working in his. Uh, I don't know. If, do you have a basement? You probably don't.
1: No, I just have a metaphorical rankings cave where I, I was, mentally start to do rankings each week. Okay. So Monday okay. Monday and Tuesday, I spend a lot of time there.
0: <laughs> I was just thinking of you being in kind of a, somewhat of a cave there, just cranking away, and there's pie charts everywhere and things like that. So John, <laughs> John's going to be working on his rankings for tomorrow, so make sure if you're a subscriber, and if you're not a subscriber, man, hop hop on it now. It's not too late to, uh, if you're struggling a little bit in fantasy leagues, to get those rankings and, and make sure you correct your. Uh, your misfortunes uh, moving forward here, but John's got those rankings coming out tomorrow, which is Tuesday, 444.com. You can follow John on Twitter at 444 underscore John. You can follow me at Anthony Stalter if you're so inclined. We will see you next time, and actually John's going to be doing Friday's podcast with TJ Hernandez, so make sure to look for that. I am taking off for the weekend. My wife and I are celebrating our fifth, fifth uh, five-year anniversary, so I, I won't be on this 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 week's podcast, but that should be the only one that I miss all season long. But that That'll do it for the Most Accurate Podcast. We'll see you next time.